Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, yes, lively this morning. Thank you. I'm going to give you a gift today. But before I give you that gift, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the gift I'm about ready to give you. I'm going to give you the gift of a friend. Um, I have a friend here today. Him and his wife are here with us and uh, just going to be a blessing to you, I hope. Uh, but my friend, which is interesting, I do coffee and I do donuts. And this friend does the same. He does coffee and he does donuts. And so we struck a natural, natural uh, brotherhood through the coffee and the donuts. But it's really cool. Every time we get together, we usually kind of check in how we're doing, our families and, you know, what's going on in our lives. But the best part of our visit is that it gets to Jesus. And throughout the whole entire time of our conversation, it's like, it's all about him. And I go away each and every day that we meet, I go away feeling a little taller in Jesus. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, we need that encouragement. So I invited my friend Dallas Gatlin and his wife Nola is here with him as, as well today. But I invited him here to do the same to you. What I'm hoping when he's done today is that you'll be a little taller in Jesus. So let's uh, welcome my friend Dallas and uh, be an encouragement to him. I love you, man. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> All right, so I searched for coffee and donuts in the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> Couldn't find it. Then I searched Leviticus, where most of the dietary laws were, and I couldn't find it. But there is a, an apocryphal book called Coffee and Donuts. And now you're already wondering, can we trust this guy this morning? <laughs> I love Tamala and John and, and uh, all the time that Tamala and I served together at Carriagetown Ministries, and then John launching the... Um, uh, Blue Line Donuts, coffee shop, donut shop for us. How many of you have been there? Okay, let's fix that this next week if you can. Yeah, so um, I really, really appreciate being invited here this morning. I promise that uh, the next uh, 45 minutes or so will be about Jesus and uh, not about me. And if we do stray a little bit, maybe you can just play the harmonica like we do in the inner city churches with the organs and I'll know that I'm off track a little bit, all right? Yeah, I know something about you already. Um, I know something about each and every one of you. I got a chance to meet a lot of you. By the way, my wife's name is Nola, N-O-L-A, and when I say it, I don't know what happens, but it comes out Noah or Nora. Uh, nonetheless, we've, dis we've survived four and a half plus decades in marriage despite that. So don't feel bad if you don't get her name right, but it is Nola, N-O-L-A, right? And uh, um, if you wonder if I have any wisdom this morning after we're done, just remember, I married Nola. And that's enough, right? Uh, you are in the middle of, uh, or at least in the early stages of a great series on the body, the church body, and um, kind of approaching it with a metaphor that let's talk about the bones first, the most important things. And I know in your uh, growing group that meets, I think, on Thursday nights, you've you just been studying some really foundational things that 
tie in together with all, all this. That is, if I can believe your website, right? And I believe I can, right? Um, so this morning, we're going to launch into doctrine. And uh, there's so much material, but we're going to be careful to just kind of lay a foundation. Um, Pastor John may want to preach on it again next week to fill in the blanks that I left. But uh, we're going to get a, a, a flavor of it this morning anyway. Um, at the core of things, I think it's important that we know that every one of us here this morning, God made on purpose. You are a personal project of God. And when we talked uh, core um, values where at Carriagetown, where I was the, the leader for 15 years or so, um, that was it. Like if we get that right, that everybody we meet today deserves to be treated like a, a personal project of God, then we have it right. So I'm going to treat you like that this morning because I know that about you already. God made you on purpose. You have a trajectory in life. Um, and when we talk about the trajectory, the piece of it is God wants us to be in fellowship in a church body, an assembly that becomes our family. And if you don't have family, it's just that much more important because the church is your family. It's your important family. And um, in the, the scriptures that we're going to read here, uh, I want you to just listen carefully. We're just going to read some from 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 14 and read through 26. Resist all the temptation you might have to be uh, planning this afternoon or whatever. Uh, and just listen like this is your favorite movie or, or favorite recording. And, and do God the honor of focusing on, on him and what he has to teach us as we read these words. 2 Timothy 2, uh, 14 through 26. Remind them of these things, Paul writes to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Rather, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, one who rightly divides the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. In fact, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they over, uh, overthrow the faith of some of many by teaching such things. Nevertheless, Paul tells Timothy, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Now, there's a lot in there, and we're going to go back over some of it, but we can remove some of the mystery around doctrine um, just by defining it with a word that we use more often. And there, that word is teaching. What are the teachings that Jesus wants us to pay attention to. When God sent Jesus here, what are the teachings when Jesus said, I'm speaking what my Father has told me to speak to you. I'm doing what my Father has told me to do while I'm here. I'm in a ministry of inconvenience, leaving my eternal presence with God the Father to become flesh like you. And as the first chapter of the book of John says, full of grace and truth. And we think, when we think of doctrine, we should think of truth. We should, what is doctrine? Doctrine is the truth that comes from God. In this same uh, first chapter of the book of John, John starts out and he says, there's some things I need you to know. And that is that in the very beginning was the Word, the part of God that communicates. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was not only with God, but the Word was God, and the Word is God, and everything that was made was made by Him. And in the Word of God was life. In the Word of God is life. In Him we live and move and have our being. It's almost as if this morning, if God quit thinking about us, we would simply vanish, never remembering or knowing that we ever were. We actually live today. You made it through your uh, sleep time last night with your lungs still working and your heart still beating because it was God's will that you wake up this morning. In him we live and move and have our being, and it is the truth. What did Jesus say about truth? Huh. It's pretty clear, right? I, Jesus said, am the way. You want to know the way to get to God? You want to know the way to have a life that's meaningful, full of purpose, a life eternal? Then know me. I am the way. This is the basis of doctrine, the basis of Jesus' teachings. It's, it starts here. It all starts here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can ever come to the Father where God intends us to be one day. I go to prepare a place for you. My Father wants to be with you, and he wants you to be with us, and we want to be together with you. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to that place. Even though it's God's will that you be there and I be there, we have a free will that he's given us, and we can choose not to be there. We can choose to wind up when we breathe our last breath in a place that wasn't even prepared for us. But a 
place instead that was prepared for a devil and his angels. I am the way, Jesus said. The foundation of all doctrine, all teachings. I am the way and I am the truth. You want to come to the Father? Come to me. And then further in the, the first chapter of the book of John, it says, in him was life and that life was and is the light of all mankind. We can read through that and just not really grab what it's telling us. It's like, you want to understand biology? You want to understand chemistry? You want to understand physics? You want to understand music? You want to understand art? You want to understand gestation and pregnancy? You want to understand life and how to plan a good life? You want to understand what it means when the proverb says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord? You want to understand all that? Then let everything you're thinking about be illuminated by the life of Christ. He is the light and the truth. And by letting his light and his teachings and his words illuminate everything we do and think, we can know God and we can have eternal life. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, well-versed in the law of Moses, well-versed in the Old Testament prophets, uh, went to his Pharisee meetings and the Jewish ruling council, heard what they began to say about Jesus. They were worried about him. They were worried that he was a blasphemer and you can kind of see that a little bit. Like here's a man who says he's the Messiah, the son of the living God. Before Abraham was, I am. Like if that's not true, he is a blasphemer. But their own scripture said the Messiah will come and he'll look like uh, a suffering servant. Right? He'll come from Bethlehem. He'll be of the line of David and so on and so on and so on. Had they wanted to recognize him, had they had the heart to recognize him, had they responded to the Spirit of God saying, this is the Messiah, they could have known. They'd been waiting for him. One of them, Nicodemus, was curious. Still a little afraid, you know the story in John chapter 3, he went at night while the streets were dark and people couldn't recognize him, probably had his hood up to go where he heard Jesus was, and he went in to talk with him. He went in to have a religious conversation with Jesus. It's interesting, we can read between the lines and understand that Jesus was thinking like, Nicodemus, I don't want to have a religious conversation with you. I want to have a personal conversation with you. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Wow, we have so much in what we've talked about already. We have the answer to some questions that are doctrinal, that the church and different denominations have wrestled with. Some, some churches and some denominations have, like uh, the, uh, the, the Reformed tradition, have five doctrines they want to really nail down. And some have 12 and some have 15. But Jesus started out with Nicodemus. It should be pretty important to us how Jesus starts to have a conversation with a seeker. Don't you think? If you think that, say amen. Yeah, I say amen right with you. That's important. And what did Jesus say, Nicodemus? You must be born again. Wow. Nicodemus might have thought, I, I didn't expect that. 
He's talking about me, first of all. I wanted to talk about stuff. You must be born again. When you, you remember when you were saved? The Holy Spirit said you need to be born again in some kind of way, some kind of words. Like, I don't know what your theology exactly is about the rapture, when we think it might happen. God knows, right? And so if it happens today, I should ask this. Who is willing to lock up if it happens today when the rest of us are gone? Like, I just kind of want to know who you are. Because <laughs> then I can speak in your direction right now and say, you must be born again. But you're not any different than anybody here who's already born again. If somebody's born again and is a follower of Jesus, they're learning humility. They're learning meekness. Not meekness and weakness, but Jesus and Mr. Miyagi meekness. You know, like, I could take your head off, but I'm not going to. I have a different mission in mind. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's the, the doctrine, the teaching about salvation right there, right? We already hear from Jesus uh, the, the doctrine of God and the Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and this, this Word of God became flesh, a miraculous birth. So now we have a Father and a Son, Where's the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit's there the whole time. But remember when Jesus, uh, we're moving away from Nicodemus for a second, all the way to that last meal Jesus had with his followers. And in John chapter 13, he washed their feet. Then he went into chapter 14, 15, and 16 as recorded by the apostle John, where he tells us about the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to spend, I'm going to send the spirit, the comforter, the helper, the advocate. And what will this advocate do? counselor do this Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit will convict you comfort you guide you but here's the one I want to focus on It'll remind you what I said Jesus what I said and did what I taught while I was here he'll remind you how does he do that? We've got some doctrines we've already talked about. We've got you must be born again. There's a doctrine of salvation. We know from some verses in Ephesians, the church that Timothy was most involved with, we know that by grace are we saved through faith. Not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God, not of works. So we don't have anything to brag about. It is just when we, when we get to paradise, we're going to arrive there and say, Wow, I know I don't deserve this. I'm really acutely aware of that right now. But I am so thankful. Like the most utter profound thankfulness that we will ever have experienced. All of a sudden, why did I worry about this moment so much? In Jesus, if you're saved, it's so easy even if you suffer with cancer for six months, eight months, or COVID for three or four weeks, or whatever it is, if you're a child of God and you cross over, remember, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he who trusts in me is not condemned, but he who doesn't trust me is condemned already because he is not yet trusted in the Son of God. How can we possibly have eternal life by trusting in the Son of God. Not just saying his name, not just praying a prayer after some preacher, but by trusting in Jesus.
we can have life eternal. And it starts right now. Here's some, here's some doctrines that, that um, I just listed. These are the ones that come to mind for me. There's doctrines about, there's a doctrine about who God is. There's a doctrine about who Jesus is. There's a doctrine or teaching about who the Holy Spirit is. Last week, you, you covered the doctrine of what the scriptures are, right? The absolutely dependable scriptures, the word of God that he sent us through prophets and apostles. It's dependable. Jesus, when he was in the desert for 40 days, the very first temptation that, testing that Satan threw at him, Jesus said, it would have been fine for the creator who created everything to make bread if he wanted to. No sin there. But Jesus intentionally went out to fast for 40 days before he started his public ministry. And Jesus said to Satan, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he said in another place, my word is food indeed. And so, if you're here this morning and you're saved and you consider yourself a Jesus student, a follower of Jesus, how often do you eat earthly food? Would you miss a meal? And how often do you eat heavenly food, the Word of God? How often do you feed on the Word of God? Is it every day? Do you eat regular food every day? This is a rhetorical question, by the way. I'm not asking for anybody to raise your hand. And, and do you feed on the Word every day? Because it all starts with feeding on the Word every day. The doctrine of the dependable, infallible scriptures in the original text. And in the outstanding job that scribes did copying, you know, the, the best preserved book that's ever existed. There's doctrine in what's sin. There's doctrine about salvation. There's doctrine about God's kingdom. Man, this afternoon, uh, after you're done with the reception that starts at 1230 and you get home, go back and read the Sermon on the Mount again, the Beatitudes. And basically there, this, this whole beginning of the introduction of the kingdom by Jesus, this doctrine about the kingdom, these teachings about the kingdom where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And by the way, in all that, he's saying, the kingdom is suddenly upon you because the king is here. And here's how we live in the kingdom. And guess what? It's dangerous because it doesn't look like earth here. You will look different as you live the kingdom of God. But I'm not calling on you to live it in heaven I'm calling on you to start right now follow me learn of me remember what Jesus said to his first uh, uh, guys who smelled like fish that he called to be his students uh, okay what what next follow me where, where are you going stay with me well, where, where are we going just follow me like, you guys are in kindergarten right now. Just get on the bus, put the bus tag on, and let's go. You're not going to learn calculus quite yet. Right? Incredible. Incredible. So if you're here this morning, perchance, and you, if someone said, hey, are you saved, and you don't know what that means, or you know what it means, but you're not saved yet, I would say, man, just join the family. Join, join up. All the imperfect, hurting 
sorry people who are all of us, right? The strugglers, the, the mourners, the, the insecure people who are all of us. Just why would you procrastinate? If you were on a plane and there was, uh, the, you heard the plane's going down, but fortunately next to your seat, there was a pod that said, pod to safety. And you had a chance to get in there. You might go, well, I need to see the owner's man. I need to, I need to study this. And you're going down, by the way. You might just get in, right? Jesus is not only our maker, he's our savior. He wants to be our Lord, our big brother, all of that. In, in this church, this local church that has a candlestick for God, you say these three, three things are important to you. Knowing Jesus. That's one. Following Jesus. That's two. And growing in Jesus. That's three. Who would be happy if you did all of those things? God the Father. That's what he's called us to. He would look at you, Nick, on a day where you decide, I'm just going to be about Jesus today. And he'd say, that's my boy. That's Nick. That's my boy. That's my girl, Nola. He's my girl. You see her today? This, this can be dangerous. All you got to do is go back to, the, back to the book of Job. When it's odd. I don't understand why Satan was standing in a line to talk to God in the book of Job, but that's the picture we're giving, given. And when he gets up there, um, God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. Faithful, upright, righteous. Well, yeah, of course. It's because you protect him. You got this hedge of protection around him. You know the rest of the story. If you don't, go read the book of Job this afternoon. It's dangerous sometimes to be a child of God. God has given you the basketball to go shoot the free throw. And we should do it. Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not good at it yet. Well, go get good at it. Start, start getting good at it. You don't want to be that basketball player who's sitting in number six or seven seat on the bench and the first string guard goes down and he just uh, drove to the basket and got fouled. Sorry for this metaphor. I'll finish it. And we're, we're down by one and he gets two shots. Problem is he twisted and broke his ankle. Now he's out. And the coach looks down the bench, Gatlin! Get in there. And I'm here going like, I could fail. I don't know. It's pressure. Like, I just wanted to be in the yearbook with the picture. Like, I didn't really want to play. I, you know, I'm not going to get to do that very long before the coach goes to the next guy and says, all right, you get in there. I've heard people say, man, if God calls you to go to the mission field in a certain place and you don't go, those people are going to be lost. Now, forgive me if you think that works this way, because I'm not telling you I know better. You might be right. But here's what I think. Here's just what I think. I think if I don't go, I'm like Gatlin on the bench and I lose the opportunity. But God's not going to fail. He's going to send somebody else that he's prepared. That's what I think. 
He's not going to let people that need to hear the gospel not hear it just because I'm not willing to go do it. But who loses all the blessing? Who loses the, that's my boy. Like, here's something we don't think about. We don't think about enough about the doctrine of, that's my boy. Or the doctrine of, that's my girl. The teachings of Jesus, where we really make him our teacher. Where we really become a Jesus student. Where we really read the scriptures every day, trusting that the word of God is in there. That we really learn to train ourselves to listen to the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit bless the scriptures that we're reading and turn us into little Jesuses. Christians, little Jesus-like people. And we have to be careful because there's a doctrine of sin and evil too. Like not every voice that we might decide is God or the Holy Spirit is from the Holy Spirit. When I was 12, I was saved out of a family that didn't go to church. Noel's heard this story a hundred times. She knows it better than I do. You want to come? No, never mind. Can't do that. It's like I made a commitment to read the Bible every day because I was saved reading a Bible given to me in the fifth grade of a public school by a Gideon who gave his own money to buy these Bibles. And it was me and the Holy Spirit and the book of John in my bedroom in the summer looking out a window and I got saved. I committed to God, I'm gonna read the Bible uh, every day. When we got married, it was a Saturday morning a couple years into our marriage and and, uh, we lived our Saturday and went to bed at night and um, we were tired and Nola went to bed first and then I came in and as I turned the light off, I thought, Man, this Saturday, I didn't read my Bible today. What a wimp. Like, am I just going to turn the light off and go to sleep? Yeah, I'm really tired. No, man, you, you made a commitment. You need to get up and go. Eventually, I lost that war in that sense, and I got up and went in the living room, turned on the light, my Bible out, and as I was reading for two or three minutes, I remembered that I had gotten up at 6 o'clock that Saturday morning and read the scriptures for an hour. This was a blessing from God because he reminded me in that moment that not every voice that I might think is the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. This is the voice of Satan trying to steal the joy of our fellowship together when you read the scriptures, right? So, no, you know, I'm not going to say you're not my boy if you go to bed early and you didn't happen to read the scriptures that day. But man, if you've got a good friend and your friend says, let's get together, you're going to get together with that friend. And while that friend's across the, the seat talking to you, you're not going to keep looking at your watch or your phone. So when we talk about the teachings of Jesus, we need to understand that the fellowship of Jesus is important. The gathering around his word and his teachings, his doctrines. It's not some stodgy seminary concept. It's what is important to God. What does he teach? Let me learn that. Paul, in his letter, uh, this letter to Timothy, um, in, in throughout it, he says, you know, you wouldn't be a soldier and not learn the doctrine of warfare. You wouldn't be an athlete and not learn the rules or the doctrine of the game or of training. You wouldn't be a farmer and not learn the the, the doctrine of 
weather and soil and seeds and planting. So why would you be a child of God and not learn the teachings of God? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Now, while you're thinking about that, I have set my watch to go off at five minutes after 12. It's not going to be an electric shock. I'm not going to do anything crazy. But, but um, in the meantime, I want us to, to, to enter into this sweet moment where we really reflect on what, Tim, what Timothy is learning from Paul. When Paul wrote this letter of 2 Timothy, he was in prison. He was probably going to a series of trials. He was probably uh, not all that comfortable. But this is the Paul who said, I've learned to be content in all things. I've had a lot. I've had a little. I've been respected. I've been despised. I've had a wardrobe. And I've had just one set of clothes. I've had to live with one pair of shoes. And I've had hunting boots, you know, whatever. And I don't have a lot of time, Timothy. But what I want to do is encourage you. I want you, despite your youth, I want you to be brave. I want you to trust in Jesus. There's some things I need you to do. I do need you to come to me. So when you do come, bring that coat that I liked. Bring that with me or with you to me. And by the way, there's some things at Ephesus. Now, some of you may know this already, that Ephesus was the key church that Timothy, as a young man, was responsible for. And you can read the book of Ephesians to know what they were all about, or you can go to the second chapter of the book of Revelations and understand what the angel uh, to the church of Ephesus was to say to that church hey, you're, you're good folks, but you've lost your first love. You have, you have this going for you. You hate the teachings of the Nicolaitans, but man, you've got to get, get back to your first love. What do you think that first love was? Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who, who is the Holy Spirit? What is my relationship with them? Who am I in God's kingdom? What is his kingdom all about? How do people get saved? What does that have to do with me? What, what is the method of salvation? Um, who made it possible? Um, Nicodemus, Jesus said, chapter 3 of John, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Nicodemus, this is the secret of the, the key to what I was telling you. Um, you're right, you can't go back in your mother's womb and be born again. That's a ridiculous image. Wouldn't be good for you. Certainly not good for your mom. But you're misunderstanding because you have to be born a physical human being. And because of sin and death, from the very, from the very moment of our conception, our genetics were set to time out someday. And you will time out, Nicodemus. But that which is born of the flesh is flesh and will return to ashes. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit and eternal. You must be born again, Nicodemus. You must be born of the 
of the water and blood and fire. You must be born again. Uh, there's all kinds of evidence, not all kinds, but sufficient evidence, I think, that Nicodemus was saved, especially since it was him and Joseph who went and got Jesus' body at no little risk for Nicodemus, by the way, and for Joseph, and provided him a, a burial. So there's that evidence. What do we need to know? What do we need to know doctrinally about salvation? It's incredible how God teaches us. It's incredible the things that are almost not spoken, but visual, right? Um, some of you have been to uh, Catholic churches, Presbyterian churches. Some of you have been to Methodist churches, Baptist churches, Bible churches, a lot of different churches. Doctrinally, often very, very close, but some of the distinctives. Which, which ones do we argue about the most? The denominational distinctives, right? How do you get sanctified? Oh, I'm not going to get into that. But I will show you, I will demonstrate to you how God, through his son Jesus, teaches us about salvation. When Jesus was crucified, um, two other people were crucified with him, right? Some of the Gospels say for a while they both kind of railed on him. Eh, you're son of God, why don't you save yourself and save us? But in one place it's recorded that one of them, after watching what was going on, watching the people and looking at Jesus who was beaten, if, if Jesus had been left sitting by himself after the beating, it seems probable that he would have died of the beating without being crucified. But this was God's uh, permissive will that he let those who he made crucify Jesus. And as Jesus is hanging there, one of the, the thieves also dying, looking at Jesus, his demeanor, what he's saying, how he's saying it, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And in that moment, in the last minute, of his life his heart changes he realizes something and he looks at Jesus and he says Lord what a ridiculous thing to say to somebody who's been arrested by the religious authorities the government authorities and crucified someone who said he was the son of God before Abraham was I am and now he's dying. Lord, remember me when, when you come into your kingdom. Kingdom? Him? Seriously? Like he saw Jesus and saw a savior, a king. And Jesus turned to him and said, certainly, I want you to know that today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. What does that teach us about the doctrine of salvation? Well, certainly Paul got it. By grace you're saved through faith, not of works. Um, some denominations say 
You've got to go through some of the sacraments to be saved. You've got to, some denominations, Protestant denominations, you've got to, some even say you have to be baptized to be saved. Um, you have to take Holy Communion to be saved. You have to confess your sins to a priest to be saved. You have to go through confirmation. Now, I'm not picking on anybody, but the value of doctrine is to look at what the Bible says and make your beliefs consistent with what the Bible says. So I'm telling you, and you know this, that this man who is going to be with Jesus that day in paradise could not get down from this cross and get baptized. He could not get down from this cross and take communion, confess his sins to a priest, even though without saying those words, he just has. He could not help an old lady across the street. He could not volunteer at Carriage Town Ministries. He couldn't go to church for a string of Sundays. He couldn't pay penitence. He couldn't do any of that. All he could do is take God's revelation to him that he was talking to Jesus, the Word of God, in the flesh, part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was working inside of him saying, this is Jesus, this is the Son of God. He is your Lord. He's coming into a kingdom. He's ushering in his kingdom. If you trust in him, you'll be saved. And so he did. Was he a theologian? Could he profoundly articulate? No, none of that. Jesus doesn't require any of that. Just that you see him, know him, and trust him. And as a child of God, he wants us to know Jesus. And then after knowing him and while getting to know him, to follow him. And while we're following him, if we're really following him, we will grow in him. Luke 9, 23, as we get ready to close, says, he who would come after me must take up his own cross and deny himself every day. It's like collecting manna. This, remember, this isn't about being saved. This is about following Jesus. But every day, take up your own cross Deny yourself and follow him. Deny that voice that spoke in your head this morning and said, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you don't have control of all of your faculties or all of your limbs, you're, you're, you're not, you're homely, you're despised, you're rejected. We need to crucify that voice. We need to crucify this voice. You're the smartest. You're the prettiest. You're the cleverest. Be the smartest today. Win every argument. You know, be the coolest. Be the... Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, intentionally came to do a ministry of inconvenience. Trusting in Jesus, following Jesus, Growing in Jesus is our reasonable service. Amen? Thank you. Love you, brother. Thank you.
gift that Jesus has for each of one of us, and that is salvation. If you have not yet taken that free gift that Jesus offers, uh, I want to make sure that you have opportunity to do that. So like each and every week we do here at the Journey, we spend a little time just thinking about what God just said, because that's what we trust, is that whoever stands up here, whether it's myself or Dr. Gavin or who, proclaims the word that God has for us. So if you find yourself today never taking that free gift or never trusting in the gift of salvation that God offers through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, I would suggest that you reach out and stick out your hand and take that free gift. And you can do that a couple of different ways. You can come and see me after the service or Dr. Gavin or whoever, one of our elders, or you can do that right in your seat. That's how I got saved. Uh, God spoke to me during a meeting like this. I um, just humbled myself before him. Um, you can trust, uh, humble yourself before a holy God and admit that you're a sinner, just like I had to do in my chair, and then confess that sin to him. And the Bible says that if we're willing to do that, he's willing to forgive us of those sins. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? All this sin that we've ever committed, all the sin that we ever will commit, any disobedience we have unto him, he's willing to just kind of scrub it. If you've never taken that gift, I suggest, I actually implore, I plead you. We talk about all the things that are going to be in paradise one day. Dallas mentioned that the only one that's important. Now, we all want it to be 71 degrees. We all want good coffee and a big fat chocolate donut. But that thief had it right. You know what's going to be in paradise? Jesus. We don't need all the stuff that we want or desire. Jesus is going to be in paradise. And if you believe, if you have trusted him for salvation, you can be there with him. me that's mine Lord so let's take a couple of minutes and just think about what the Lord said through Dr. Gavin and like I said if you if today's your day you want to reach out your hand and trust Jesus there's no shame in that the only shame in in it is if you walk out the door and he's knocking on your door but I could help you with that Others can help you with that as well. So let's take a few minutes and pray and just think about these things. And I'll close this and we can go home.
Lord, we thank you. We praise you. That you love the unlovable. There's many things we can learn, many doctrines, many teachings, as we uh, have heard today. But may we not miss the doctrine of love, how much you loved us, how much you care for us, how much you want to be with us in spite of our sin. Lord, thank you for Jesus. He's everything. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the light. Lord, just um, impress upon our hearts how we may communicate that to all those that we know, those that we love. I pray, Lord, that we're encouraged to get off the bench when it's our turn. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Dallas and his friendship. Thank you for his love for you. I pray it's infectious to each and every one of us here today. We thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So as you go today, be encouraged by what you heard today. If you have any questions, want to know more, Dallas is going to stick around for a couple of minutes afterwards. Love on him. He'll love on you for sure. Go in peace. See you next week.